So today we're finishing our series. I'm always sad to see a series end because I always feel like there's you know, more we could have uh, talked about. But today we're ending how to thrive when life feels heavy. And I want to do something that I don't think, I, I'm sorry to say I've never done. I don't think I've ever done. Maybe I haven't. But um, I want to look back for a minute and review the series. We've been trying to answer one question for a month. And the question is, how do you thrive when life feels heavy? So are you ready? I hope you got your seat, but I'm about to give you the speed round, okay? I'm going to give you the review over the last um, three, three messages. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to basically list for you the answers we gave, the points that we gave to how to thrive when life is heavy. So here, here we go. There are ten of them. Number one, you must recognize that life is heavy and why life is heavy. You can't you're not going to be able to work your way through something that you don't recognize is happening. Number two, you must find hope. So if you've missed any of these, you're about to get them all. You must find hope. I don't know any hopeless person that's thriving. So you've got to find hope. Number three, name your losses. You can't let go of what you can't name. Number four, feel your feelings. Whatever your feelings are, it's okay to feel your true feelings. We don't overcome our feelings or process our feelings by avoiding them or ignoring them or pretending that they're not real. Number five, grieve in community. No, we don't heal best alone. Number six, wait on God. And that's one of the, that's one of the hardest ones, uh, but one of the best ones. Number seven, experience new birth. Experience new birth. After a time of grieving and healing, there's this incredible time of new birth. After death in the kingdom of God, there's always resurrection. Number eight, do the work God gave you to do. Number nine, limit your knowledge and grow your wisdom. Limit your knowledge and grow your wisdom. When we talked about how we need to filter the things that we allow into our heart and mind and our life and increase our wisdom. Number 10, invest your margin in rebuilding resilience. All right, so you're all caught up. <laughs> everybody, everybody, we just, we just did the speed round, right? Everybody just caught the last three weeks of the series. Now here's the final message. So let me um, go back to the framework that brought us here, Okay. Let me go back to um, how it is that we arrived at this message being a relevant message. So we, we are living in uh, a significant mental health crisis. Um, and the signs of that are all around. All of these things I'm going to give you we could talk about you know, for an hour, but let me just reference them. Um, the Ukraine war has taken, has taken a dangerous turn. Uh, that will stretch food and energy limits, particularly as we get deeper into the winter, and will have a, an impact, some level of impact, on the global economy. We are dealing with um, incredible, at least in my lifetime, I'm not saying in history, but in my lifetime, unprecedented inflation. Uh, we're told that this fall and winter, we're facing a, a, a triple threat, of flu, COVID, and RSV. And so, you know, it's likely we're going to see some combination of that 
um, prey on vulnerable people and, and maybe even take some more people's lives. Supposedly, at some point, I don't know who's going to be the one to declare it, but we've got a recession hovering over us like a dark cloud that people say we're in one, we're not in one. We're in one, we're not in one. Next year we're going to be in one. I, I don't, I'm not an economist. I don't know how that works. I just know right now it's not good. Um, chemical dependency is on the rise. And then anxiety. Man, people are having trouble sleeping, being still, um, controlling their thought life. Uh, just, a, just a difficult time that we're living in that kind of brought us to this series. If life is heavy, and your life might not be heavy, and I'm not trying to convince you that it is or ought to be. I'm just saying if yours isn't, you know ten people who is. <laughs> so, for their sake, let's, let's see what we can do. And here's part of the challenge as a society, we just keep doubling down on our problems, thinking that double effort or double something is going to bring us a solution. But here's the thing. Part of the challenge we're facing is there's not like a, um, a law or a budget or, a, or something that can be passed. There's not a person we can elect that's going to fix this because a lot of the problem lives inside of us. So there's not an external solution for it. In the middle of all of that, Jesus has this incredible um, promise, this incredible claim. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. listen to it this morning, with fresh ears, he says, come to me. But we could, just, we could just stop there. That's a good place to stop. Come to me. Isn't that a good place to stop? Come to me. <laughs> You've tried everything else. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Sometimes the last thing we do is the best thing. And, and, and we pray prayers, you know, it's, it's a beautiful promise, and it's so simple, but we tend to overlook it. So, how do we thrive when life feels heavy? I'm going to give you three really simple thoughts today. Number one, come to Jesus. Now, before you write this off, it's Kids Church. Give, give me a minute. And give Jesus a minute. He's the one that said it. And he said it to adults. So, so number one, come to Jesus. Who, who was the invitation for? The invitation was for the weary and burdened, it says. Now, the context behind this is um, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had created thousands of rules to try to help people keep up with God's law. Okay, so the Ten Commandments and some other Old Testament principles. But, but, the, but the religious leaders, as us humans tend to do, had way overcomplicated it and added thousands of rules to God's law, and they created this complex system that everybody would have to quit their job and just full-time study the system to understand it, and it put a weight and a burden on people that the, that the average everyday person couldn't carry. And in the middle of that, Jesus was speaking. But let me give you some examples of what this might look like. So one of God's commandments is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Sounds simple. To that one commandment, 
the religious leaders added 39 categories of how to do it. 39 categories. And in each category, there were sub-rules. The first, the first 11 of those categories had to do with how to make bread on the Sabbath. 11 categories with dozens, maybe hundreds of rules of how to make bread. You think the recipe book you've got is complicated. This will kill Betty Crocker. She would die. Twelve categories had to do with clothing. How to prepare your clothes properly. There were a certain number of steps that you were supposed to take on the Sabbath. There were a certain number of letters that you could write with your hand. Anything past that would be work. You weren't supposed to look in the mirror. You weren't supposed to light a candle. You weren't supposed to spit on the Sabbath lest it fall to the ground, hit dirt, and make mud. Then you'd be working. It's funny to us, but can you begin to feel the weight, the burden that these leaders had put on the everyday person? Well, you know, maybe some of you grew up sort of like that. Maybe you grew up in a legalistic home or a legalistic church where um, you felt a lot of guilt, you felt a lot of pressure to earn your value, to prove your worth by your performance. Maybe you grew up in a shame environment where you had to succeed or, or you, you, you had brought shame on the family. Sometimes our circumstances shape us or people's brokenness shape us and sow rejection into our life and we carry that burden around. And then as adults, we become driven by this brokenness, pushing past limits to try to please parents who, or other authorities who are unpleasable out of fear that we're not going to measure up. Or maybe we keep fostering false peace to bury the frustration that's deep inside of our heart. We've buried anger, but we keep living in this false peace, and it just creates frustration. Or we become triggered, or we live um, oftentimes, not oftentimes, always times. Sarcastic people are angry people. It's just the way that they've learned to let it out. And, and sometimes we control people with our anger to prevent them from hurting us. And then these relational wounds that set in early on some of us have taught us not to trust people. So we spend our whole lives monitoring everyone around us, trying to understand what everyone's motive is for everything. Because we're convinced that no one's trustworthy and our entire life is an exercise to show proof. How that would see, I knew it, I knew it. It only took 48 years. But I knew it was going to happen eventually, you know, because we're hurt. We might not live in the same religious environment, but we've got our own rules. And we've got our own burdens. And we've got our own weight that we all carry. And this verse is an invitation to the heavy and the burden. But watch this. It's also an invitation to one other group of people. If you go back a few verses before chapter eleven twenty-eight, if you go back to 25, look what Jesus said here. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, there's two groups of people addressed in this verse. 
and they're not how they sound. The first group are the wise and learned. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus is against education, knowledge, or wisdom. That's not what that means. But what Jesus is saying, he's he's using that label to say there are people that consider themselves wise and learned and knowledgeable and self-sufficient, and they live in their own strength. And then he says there are other people who are like little children, not that they're seven or eight years old, but they, they are dependent upon Jesus. They're dependent upon God, and they draw strength from Jesus for life. They know they can't do it on their own, and they know they can't heal themselves on their own, and they know they really can't live a whole life without God, so they lean heavily on God. Now, isn't this interesting? This is the exact opposite of the way that we do it. The Bible says that Jesus hid things from the wise and the learned, but revealed them to children. We do the opposite. We say, let's don't have this conversation. The kids are around. Let's just talk about this when there's adults. Jesus did the opposite. He said, no, no, the people who have the attitude and the teachability and the humility and the dependency on God, that's the ones we're going to talk to. So he actually, Jesus hides things from people who believe they don't need him. Now, let me explain that for a minute because none of us would say, well, I don't know. Very few people you ever meet are going to say, I don't need God. We don't say it with our words. We say it with our actions. We say it with our lifestyle. We say it with our independence. We say it with the way we make decisions. We say it with the way we carry on our lives. And so when we live that way, Jesus actually hides things from us. (laughs) But when we live the other way, Jesus actually reveals things to us. Reveals things to us. So here's here's the thing. This is a message that you've heard at Kingwood for many months if you've been here. If you're new, let me just remind us all who've heard it and then give it to those of you who haven't heard it. Like the world, the world has changed. In many ways, the pandemic changed the world. And in many ways, we lived because life had a standard about it that appeared to be sustainable, and we lived with this illusion that we were more in control than we are. And the fog is starting to lift. And the brokenness that we as people enact on ourselves, I think, is getting clearer with less answers. And so what we have to do, and by the way, in that shift, what happened is, we saw, at least in America, probably in other parts of the world, we saw this pretty catastrophic loss of faith. Like people who just, you know, walked away or said, and here's the the thing, it's because our faith is not deep enough. And so if you've been around Kingwood, you've heard me say for a long time, we've got to get deeper. We have to get deeper. The call of Jesus in this hour is to get deeper. It's not to try to rebuild the life you had before the pandemic because it wasn't as good as it looked. It's to get deeper. It's to get deeper with Him. It's to come to Him and live with Him and walk with Him. He is the answer. He has the answer. He knows the way. He is the way. 
And so, and so if you've been around, you've heard us talk about this, we've got to get deeper. We can't compartmentalize our spiritual life and say, well, Sunday, you know, church is the spiritual block, Monday's the work block, the evenings are the, um, you know, family block, the, the late afternoon is the um, activities block, you know, the sports and extracurricular activity block, and weekend is college football block. We got to stop blocking our life off in these compartments, and we have to understand and try to sprinkle a little bit of spirituality on top of it and think it's going to season it all. What we've got to understand is the spiritual life is the foundation of all of life. Everything lives and moves and breathes in, in that atmosphere. And so, this, this come to me invitation is we have to get deeper. We've got to move from just doing some spiritual things to living a life dependent on Jesus. That's a big change. I had an incredible opportunity um, many years ago, probably 15, 18 years ago. I got to meet Bill Bright. Many of you won't recognize his name. Bill Bright is probably responsible for bringing more people to faith in Jesus than anyone other than Billy Graham. Uh, it's, been, it's been estimated 139 million people have come to faith in Jesus because of Bill Bright. Uh, Bill Bright and his wife, when they were young, they were a young married couple in, in, in the 1950s, um, they, were, they, were, they had, uh, went separate ways on their way home from church one Sunday. They were having a big argument. And so Bill said to his wife, Vonette, he said, okay, I don't think we're going to solve this because they were both unhappy in their marriage. And he said, why don't you go in that room and you just write down all the things that you want out of our marriage and I'll go in this room and I'll write down all the things that I want out of our marriage. And let's bring them back together and, and let's ask Jesus which ones we ought to do. And from that argument and that conflict came um, a moment of such, such unprecedented surrender. They came together at the table and they said, Okay, God, the only way we're going to resolve this is we're going to have to give everything to you. And so they wrote, if you know anything about their story, what is famously now known as a contract with God. They actually wrote it. He, he was a businessman before he was a minister. And so he actually wrote a contract. Sat at their kitchen table, coffee table, wrote a contract, signed it. And, and, and the contract read something, I, I looked it up, it read something like this. From this day, Lord, we surrender and relinquish all of our past, present, and future rights and material possessions to you. As an act of the will by faith, we choose to become your bond slaves. That's what Bill Bright used to call himself, as a slave of Christ. We choose to become your bond slaves and do whatever you want us to do, go wherever you want us to go, say whatever you want us to say, no matter what it costs, for the rest of our lives. With your help, we will never again seek the praise or applause of men or the material wealth of the world. I didn't, of course, know Bill Bright in those days, he was much older than I was. But the next night, God gave him a dream. And in the dream came the idea for the ministry that he launched, which is now known as Crew, that won 139 million people to Jesus. I met Bill Bright a few years before he died. And somebody was talking to him about um, 
you know, what they had sacrificed and what they had missed and what they had given up. And then you know what, you know what Bill Bright said? He said, don't ever feel sorry for us. He said, you have no idea how much fear and anxiety and worry that we've been spared. Because we gave it all. <laughs> because we gave it all to God. We cut all the strings. We cut all the ropes. And you have no idea the things that we've been spared, the stress and anxiety and worry over possessions and time and where we're going to go and what we're going to do. We've been spared so much. Don't ever feel sorry for us. You and I are never going to live independent from Jesus and in our own strength and know his rest and know his peace. Let me say it a different way. The more dependent and the more in Jesus' strength you, you and I live, the more of his rest we will experience. Come to me, he says. Number two, come to Jesus, number one. Number two, learn from Jesus. How we live our lives, the pace that we live our lives is destroying our peace, it's stealing our margin, and it's affecting our health. I want to read this incredible thought to you from an assistant professor from Bushnell University, A.J. Swoboda. He said, as we drown ourselves in a 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do anything, anything, but quench our true thirst for the life of God. The result is that we've become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. Jesus talked about the spiritual cost of a life lived like that. He used a farming metaphor. And what he basically said is, God is coming along and planting these seeds of truth in our lives, but those seeds are choked out by the cares of this world. Matthew 13, 22, listen to what he said. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out, making it unfruitful. Do you know that you can go to the best church and you can hear the best teaching and you can read the Bible and it can absolutely do nothing in your life because the way you live your life chokes it to death. We've never lived at a time that I can remember like this where the runoff, like the things that we're trying to do this morning while we're on campus and kids ministry and life groups and prayer and I mean all the energy and mass and the messaging and everything we're trying to do and online, I've never seen a time where it disappears faster. Because you walk out that door and it's strangled to death immediately. Why? By the cares of this world. By the, by the pace of life. The way we're living is choking out every good thing God's trying to plant in us. So what do we have to do? We have to learn a different way of living. What, it, what does it look like? What does this choking look like? It looks like everyday business, busyness. It looks like constantly living on the go, staying in constant communication with people. It's filling in every gap of our life with screen time. Every time there's a spare... I can't remember the last time I heard anybody say they were bored. 
Nobody's ever bored anymore, ever, because every crack in the sidewalk is filled with a screen. If you just turn the volume off and look at yourself sometime, you look pretty funny. You know, it's always this. And what we've done is we've filled every space so that there's no room left for God. And we've been sucked into the gravitational pull, listen, of the physical world which forces us to live as if there is no spiritual world. As if it doesn't exist. So there's no space left for God's kingdom to grow. It's slowly, we're slowly choked to death spiritually. It's hard to think about God when you can't breathe. There's no time, there's no way, there's no space, there's no anything. Before the pandemic, I I heard a um, a staff pastor at a church, I was listening to a series they were doing, and I heard him say something so interesting, and I'm not suggesting that this is the right move for you, I'm just suggesting that we've got to rethink the way we live our life to make space for God, or or, or, (laughs) or, 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 or things aren't going to change inside us. So he said... um, they had become so overactive and overcommitted and overbusy as a family. I think they had four, I think they had four children, if I remember. And they said, you know, we decided, we decided we're taking a year off. Now, before you, you know, go to an internet article about people that retire at 30, that's not what he's talking about. He's, he's just a, an average staff pastor at a church, and he doesn't have the means to do that. He said, we're going to stop all extracurricular activities in our family for one year. We're not doing sports, we're not doing Little League, we're not doing whatever, cheerleading, we're not doing the things. We're stopping, we're stopping, we're getting off the bullet train. And he said their friends reacted to them like they were aliens. And they would ask, what do you do at night? Like when you go home from work, what you don't have, what do you do? And he said, well, it's crazy. We go for walks with our family. We eat dinner together at the table. And sometimes, when we're really feeling crazy, we watch the sunset. It's crazy. I didn't even know we had a sunset. Forgot about that. It's insane. And you know what? We're actually starting to love each other more. It's amazing what happened. I'm not... I'm not suggesting that you do what they did. I'm suggesting that you rethink how you live your life so that you can, you can create the space that you need for God's kingdom to grow in your life. So this point is learn from Jesus, right? We can't keep living like the world and expect better results. So Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, and 30, the rest of this passage, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, when we hear this verse, what we oftentimes hear is, thank God, I've been looking for somebody to dump my yoke on, you know. 
take this yoke, Lord, take this yoke off me and let me rest. And what we typically mean by that is, I have ran my life in such a way, I'm so frazzled and I'm so exhausted and I'm so empty. Let me give you this yoke for a little while so I can rest. And once I get refueled, I'll take it back on. That is not what that verse says. That verse says, take the yoke you're carrying off so that you can put on Jesus' yoke. See, there's not space for his yoke as long as you're walking around with yours. There's no room. So you have to take off the yoke that you're carrying so that you may, you have to take off the way that you're living so that you may put on the way that Jesus lives. It's a different rhythm. Now, um, I brought a picture this morning of a yoke just to kind of show you what one might have looked like in Jesus' time. It was a wooden harness um, that was fashioned around an ox. And uh, the word yoke, actually the, the, the meaning for the word yoke in the New Testament, in the Greek there, means well-fitting. And the reason it means well-fitting is because the way a yoke was made, it was made by hand, by a carpenter. The ox would be brought to the carpenter shop. The carpenter would measure the ox. He would make the yoke specifically tailor-made for that ox. When it was completed, the ox would be brought back. They would put the yoke on the ox, and they would test the fit. And they would say, you know, is this going to work? No, take a little off here. Measure. And, and so the carpenter by hand would continue to fashion that yoke until it fit that individual ox perfectly. Now, legend says that Jesus, who we know was a carpenter, actually built the best yokes in Galilee so that people would travel from a long distance to come to his shop to get his yokes because he made the best ones. Well, he's still making the best ones. And here's what I want you to know about when Jesus says, learn from me. What he's not saying is, I want to put some generic, standardized, legalistic hardship on you that you're going to have a difficult time carrying. What he's saying is, is what the yoke that I want to put on you is custom made for you. Like, I'm going to take great care as a master carpenter to fashion it, and it's going to take into account who you are, where you've been, who your family was, what you've been through, your pains and your wounds and your fears. It's going to take into account who you are, and how you're going to learn from him is you're going to learn from him in a very customized way. We're all coming to the same point. We're all coming to more Christ-likeness, but the path that we take to get there is customized for you. It's handmade for you. So he's not going to put some choke you to death burden on you. That's not who he is. So what does it look like? The only way I know how to describe what this yoke that Jesus wants to put on you looks like is to think about how did Jesus live his life? And look, this is not comprehensive. It's, it's just the things that I thought of when I reflected on not, not what did Jesus say so much, but how did he live? Here's how he lived. He was compassionate. No question. He regularly found quiet places for prayer. The Bible specifically says that in many places. He regularly found quiet places for prayer. He perfectly balanced his inner life and outer life. What do I mean by that? 
He didn't get sucked into this gravitational pull that the only part of the world that existed was the physical world. But he moved seamlessly between the spiritual world and the physical world, and he balanced them. He knew how to balance that alone time where he was uh, meeting with the Father and building up his inner man, and then that outer time where he was interacting with people and doing what God gave him to do. He lived in community. Like he lived in a group of people. He was no loner. He was no lone ranger just going off by himself doing his own thing. He embraced his limits. We talked about that last week. He grew in wisdom and relationship. The Bible says that Jesus grew in uh, wisdom and favor with God and man. And so he grew in relationship with people, which has to mean that he invested in people. And, And he grew in wisdom. He lived in complete obedience to the Father. He did not live in a hurry. Ever. I challenge you to read the entire Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and find one example where Jesus was in a hurry. He never ran around like a chicken with his head cut off. He perfectly balanced grace and truth. He would never back off the truth because the Bible says he was the truth. He couldn't violate his own identity. But he also offered unbelievable grace. And the picture of that is how he contrasted oftentimes the religious leaders of his day who were looking for those, all those rules to put on people. He did not try to please people. You know, like when Lazarus died and you know, Martha was saying, if you'd have just been here, you wouldn't have died. And he's like, well, I'm not going to hurry. And I got here when I was supposed to get here. He preferred to serve rather than to be served. And there's a couple of other traits that actually show up in the verse we already read. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Watch this. For I am gentle and humble. Can I tell you something amazing about God? Listen, listen to me this morning. Jesus is never going to raise his voice at you. He's never going to scream at you. He's never going to raise his voice at you. He's never going to um, communicate with you in sarcasm. And he's never going to give you a backhanded cut down. He's gentle and humble. He's not going to say, hurry up, you should have already known this. Why are you taking so long? Can't you keep up? That is not the voice of Jesus. He is gentle. Who better to learn from? And he's humble. In some of the the darkest times of my life, as, as I watched my wife suffer, and I would go in prayer and cry out to God, and sometimes even lash out at him and say, God, you know, where are you? And why aren't you doing anything? And why don't you care? And all that. I want, you, I want you to listen to me for a minute. He never lashed back out at me. I never felt any communication or impression that God somehow was going to raise his voice and set me straight. 
but he was gentle and humble. That's why he's the best one to learn from. Number three, here's the last one. So, so come to Jesus, learn from Jesus, walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. You know, it, it, what I don't mean by this is, like take that list I gave you, learn Jesus' behaviors and imitate Jesus. That is not, that, by the way, that is not the main point of this scripture. It does not mean imitate Jesus. It does not mean see how Jesus lived and just try to live like Jesus. If you could live like Jesus lived, you wouldn't need Jesus. But you just read the Beatitudes. You can't live the Beatitudes. Good luck. Not without Jesus' help. Not without some internal intervention from somewhere. <laughs> because we're human and frail and broken. and We can't live like that. It doesn't mean imitate Him. It means, watch, walk with Him and walk in His strength. What makes Christianity different from, from every other religion in the world? is every religion in the world basically has some version of this. It says, here's some principles. If you follow them, your life will get better. Christianity says, here's some principles. If you follow them, your life will get better. Here's the difference. Christianity is the only religion in the world that believes that its founder is present. The other religions say, figure it out. Try harder. Follow the way. Find the path. Earn it. Break out of karma. Set yourself free. <laughs> Christianity says, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. You can learn from me because I'm present. I'm a gentle and a humble teacher, and I'm present in your life, making a yoke that's custom made for you. I will not only show you the way, I will walk the way with you. And Christianity is the only one that says the founder will, is present, will give you the strength to do it. Will give you the internal change that you need to do what he's called you to do. This is why he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because, did you, did you notice the yoke that we put had two spots? One for you and one for him. He's in the yoke with you. He doesn't just make it and say, now go run a line and let's see how it looks. He says, watch this. When I take a step, you take a step. When I move, you move. When I pull, you pull. When I lean in, you lean in. When I back off, you back off. <laughs> pull with me. <laughs> and he's there. Are you tired? Let me pull. It's okay. I'll do the pulling. You rest. Would you stand with me this morning? Man, if you're, if you're online this morning, uh, I want you to know our prayer team is with you. They've been praying for you, and they're on live right, live right now. And um, I just wanted to stop and say something to our online viewers that I don't often say. If today's the day where you say, I do need Jesus in my life, and I want to start today a real relationship with Him. If you would just Go to the comment section. Maybe you need to even change platforms that you're on or whatever. We'll wait. This, during this whole song and the rest of the service, we'll be here live. Our prayer team will be ready. Just go over to the comment section and say, Today I want to pray 
to receive Jesus into my heart and I want to start a real relationship with him. Just anything like that. And our prayer team is going to immediately join you and they're going to pray with you. And if you have a prayer request, you can also put it in and our prayer team is going to pray with you. The worship team is going to sing a song of invitation. And today is the day that Jesus is calling you to himself. And as we sing and as we worship, I want to ask you to quiet your heart and do what we talked about today. Make a little space so that you might hear whatever it is that Jesus is saying to you. So would you just pray that with me before we sing? Lord, I thank you today that you're humble and gentle. And I thank you that you love us unequivocally. And I pray today as we sing this song that we would not only hear the words of the song, not only even sing the words of the song, but we would hear you speaking to our heart and calling us close to yourself. Lord, we we pause and we make space to meet with you and lift you up.